Blessed is the one who perseveres, and and here's, here's the caveat, under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, the proper way to study the Bible is to take that one thought, doesn't matter how many verses it is, or whether it's a chapter or not. It's a, it's a complete, standalone segment of thought and communication that the Holy Spirit through James is trying to communicate to us. If you want to know how to study the Bible and you want to study a book, you take a, a thought segment at a time. Sometimes it's one verse like this. Sometimes it's one small sentence. The shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. 35. It says two words, Jesus wept. Now, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time studying that. But if you think about it, there's power in that verse. That verse is written, if you put it in context, that verse, Jesus wept, is written right after Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb after having been dead four days. And Lazarus and Jesus had been friends before he died. And before he walked out of there, Jesus wept. Isn't it funny that Jesus cried over his dead friend, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead? That somehow it does me good. That, that means it's, it's some of these super Christians, I think I call them uber Christians, that kind of get silly with this funeral thing. You come to the funeral and everybody wants to have a celebration. Everybody wants to dance and do praise and worship. Hey, that's great. You know what I'm going to do? If it's somebody I love, I'm going to do a little bit of crying. Because I miss them. And there's nothing wrong with grieving. And there's nothing wrong with crying. And yeah, we're going to get together. I know all the verses. You don't have to tell me any of them. I've counseled people for 40 years at funerals. I know know the verses. I know what you're going to say before you say it. I'm going to cry. Because I'm sad. And I miss them. And it's my right to cry. And we're not saying too much about it. Because I'm going to cry. I cried over my daddy for years. Sometimes I still cry over my daddy. And it's okay. So it's okay to grieve. All right. Now, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, and that's the key, having stood the test means you have to stand, you have to stand up and, and pass the test. That person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's look at these points for our consideration tonight in this study. Number one, this hanging tough in tough times, this is connected to verses 2 through 4. This is connected to verses 2 through 4. So let's go back and read verses 2 through 4. And let's understand what we're talking about. All right? So I'm going to put my glasses on so I can read the little. I can read the words, but I can't read the little numbers beside the verses. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. This is, this is something James now is, is coming back to. He's circling back to this thought. It's the very first thing that he says when he opens his epistle, which is a fancy word for letter. Uh, James, by the way, is the physical brother of Jesus. He, he had Mary as his mother and Joseph as his father, whereas Jesus had Mary as his mother, but God as his father. So James was actually the half-brother of Jesus, uh, and he, Jesus had many other brothers and sisters. So Joseph and Mary actually did the wild thing, okay? So settle that in your mind. People think Mary's still a virgin, always was a virgin. No, she wasn't. Her and Joseph had sex, and she had babies, all right? And people think Mary bodily ascended into heaven, and people see visions of the Holy Virgin. Nobody's ever seen Mary, okay? No Catholic has ever seen a picture or an apparition of the Virgin Mary. She's dead and gone and in heaven. 
All, all that is myth and nonsense. It's nowhere in the Bible, okay? So Mary uh, was the common mother. Joseph was the father of James. James is the brother of Jesus. And he talks about perseverance, and he comes back to it. Then he says, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't just persevere for a while and give up. Hang with it. Hang tough. Hang tough in tough times. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you ever wanted to know what God's ultimate will is for you, it's in James 1.4. To be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is what God's will for your life and mine really is. So this is all connected to verse 2 through 4. Now let me just tell you what, what James said. He said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Now that's a Bible sounding phrase and what it means is this. When you're going through a tough time, instead of thinking of it as, oh man, this is just a drag. Oh man, this is just hell on wheels. Oh, this is just awful. Instead of thinking of it that way, think of it as, man, this is good. Consider it pure joy. This is good. This tough time is good for me because it is developing me as a person. Now, I had a friend, <laughs> had a friend years ago named Keith, and Keith moved with me to a faraway place, and he was a big old guy, you know, but he wasn't in very good shape. So Keith decided he was going to buy a treadmill and start working on that treadmill, because where we lived in New Mexico at the time, in the wintertime, it snowed 120 inches, and it stayed there six months, and it was bitterly cold, below zero quite often, and snow this deep everywhere, so you couldn't get out and run around the neighborhood, so if you didn't have a treadmill, you weren't going to run. So he bought a treadmill. First few days, he got on it, and he'd run, and he'd walk, you know. A few months later, I went over to his house, and I said, man, where's that treadmill? And he said, oh, I wish you hadn't asked that. And I said, why? He said, it's in that room in there. I walked in the room, and they were using it to hang their laundry on, and they had laundry all over the treadmill. You couldn't possibly, and baskets on the, on the tread, treadle, you know, you couldn't have possibly run on the treadmill. He said, he said, I said, so how long did you run? He said, oh, three or four days. And we started immediately using it as a laundry hanger. I, he, I said, I feel terrible about it. So it's important for us to understand that perseverance needs to finish. It's not enough to start. We got to finish. Did anybody see the literal, actual, modern-day contest they did? I think it was on Facebook. It came through my thread a few weeks, maybe a couple of months ago. They actually held a race between a tortoise and a hare. Anybody see that? And I kid you not, once again, like the fable, the turtle ran, won, the, won the race. And he was just slow, but he didn't stop. And the rabbit dashed to run and stopped, sat there. And the turtle made it all the way across the finish line and beat the hare once again. So it's not how fast we start or how lofty our ambitions. Listen, it is the drudgery of it. It is the everyday grind of it. It is the get up and go to work of it. It is, the, it, is the, it is the workout when you're sore of it. Today was one of the hardest workouts I've ever done. I just started back after a long time off um, from somebody that used to be a bodybuilding instructor. Now I've taken all these years and not worked out. So I'm getting back into it. And I, my first workout was yesterday. I work out at home. And my first workout was yesterday. And I decided I'm just going to keep working out every day until I get all the lactic acid out. And I won't be sore. And that takes about two months. But um, I did the same exact workout today on sore muscles. And you talk, about, you talk about pain. Oh, my goodness. It was all I could do. And I, I did too much on my neck. So my neck's going to be sore tomorrow. So I got just the thing for that. It's called Flexoril. It's a little pill my doctor prescribed when I had some other pull muscles. <laughs> anyway, 
So this is connected to verses 10 through 4. We have to consider it a good thing. It's easier for Keith to sit on the couch and eat potato chips and drink soda. It's not easy, it's not fun to get on the treadmill. It's a lot more fun to me to go buy Chick-fil-A and get a spicy chicken sandwich, two large orders of fries, and a peach milkshake. That's what I want. I go home instead, and I put green beans and broccoli and kale and chard in a pot, and I boil them for five minutes, and I take them out, and I eat them naked with nothing on them, just like they are. I don't mean I'm naked. I mean that they're naked. I eat them with nothing on them. <laughs> I wanted to clear, clear that up for you. What's that got to do with it, preacher? Not a thing. Uh, fully clothed, I ate today. Anyway, but um, I eat them just like that, and uh, I eat potatoes. And Thank you, C.J., Amazing. CJ made us some mashed potatoes. They're, they're just from God, I'm telling you. You know, peanut butter and jelly, banana pudding, that's what I want. But what I need is healthy food. So that's what I'm forcing myself to eat. It's, perseverance is like that. Perseverance is one of those things that it doesn't work until you keep going because that is what perseverance is. Perseverance is not, I'm, I'm going to persevere halfway through and it's not. That's not perseverance. That's doing a halfway job of perseverance. Perseverance means you go and you go and you go until it's complete. Second thing, perseverance is a learned trait. I don't believe a single human being is born with perseverance just in their nature. I've never met a two-year-old that would persevere very long. Unless it was something they wanted to do. I'm amazed at kids. Kids amaze me. How can they watch the same show over and over? I just don't get it, Big Dan. My grandson Liam will sit there, him and, him and Julian, and they watched at our house, they watched Moana, the Disney show. And they watched it, and then it was over. And I said, oh, boy, that's over. You know, and I'm like, thank God, it's great, and it's a good movie, and I, that's, that's fun, let's do something else. And Juju was like, Moana, Moana. And Donald was like, and Christian was like, oh, let's watch something else. Yeah! So nothing would do. I had to watch Moana about four times. And I'm thinking to myself, my dad would have walked over there and said, hey, shut your hole. You say one more thing, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. And I would have shut up about Moana. And I'd have gone and chopped wood if that's what daddy said to do. But things are different now, and my daddy's not around. My daddy believed that children were meant to be seen and not heard, and he would tell you that in a heartbeat. And you were a kid in my daddy's house. You sat down and behaved yourself and kept your hole shut. That's the way my daddy ran the house. And I'm glad he did because it taught me some strange disease. My, da- my daddy gave me a strange disease, and it's called respect. Perseverance is not just a personal preference. It's something we have to do because it is necessary. During World War II, Winston Churchill was giving a speech to the soldiers in Britain. And you have to understand that Winston Churchill is the reason, I believe with all my heart, he's the reason, him, is the main reason we're not, we're not watching a Nazi flag fly over America today. Because he decided we are not going to bow to the Nazi empire. They had run over the rest of Europe. He decided, not Great Britain, you won't. And they were outnumbered. They were outgunned. And Churchill didn't care. He stood up there and said, let this be our finest hour, you know, with that stiff upper lip and that bulldog snarl, and he just refused to back down. One of the things he said to the soldiers was, sometimes our best is not enough. We must do what is required. That 
is the nature of perseverance. I don't know who said this, so I can't attribute accurately the source or the author of this quote, and I'm probably not doing it uh, any kind of alacritous justice, but I will say it like this. Somebody said, there is nothing more common than unsuccessful people who could have done amazing things if it were not for a lack of perseverance. Nothing more common than unsuccessful people who could have accomplished amazing things if it were not for a lack of perseverance. One of the greatest examples of perseverance in the modern era is Thomas Alva Edison. He, he tried to create the electric light bulb and he failed over 2,000 times. And somebody came into his laboratory one day and said, Dr. Edison, you've, you've failed to create this light bulb over 2,000 times. How can you keep going? He said, no, no, I haven't failed at anything. I've only discovered 2,000 ways it won't work. See, in his mind, it was not even failure. It was another discovery. Okay, well, that won't work, so we'll put that aside. We'll go to the next step. And he just refused to give up. He would not quit. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, got cut from his high school basketball team. Did you know that? He got cut. And it just devastated him. And somebody who replaced him, by the way, never even made it to the pros. Was, was a nobody in basketball. So what that did is that motivated MJ, and he went back home and started practicing and working on the fundamentals. And then he became arguably, I say arguably, but there's a statue out in front of Bull Stadium in Chicago that's got Michael Jordan flying through the air, and it says, the best there ever was. And in my opinion, it's sort of a toss-up between Larry Bird, Pete, Pistol Pete Maravich, and Michael Jordan. But as far as poetry in motion, Michael Jordan was the man on the basketball court. Jack Nicklaus was 46 years old. He couldn't even see from the tee to the, to the flag on the 16th hole of the Augusta National Golf Course in the 1986 Masters. He was several strokes behind, and on, the, on Sunday, which is the last day of the tournament, on the, uh, on the back nine at Augusta National Golf Club, and, and many people in sports, in fact, most people in sports today consider this the greatest achievement in all of sports history. Jack Nicklaus, at 46 years of age, uh, started a run in the golf tournament. And he made a putt. He, he, he stood over a putt. And see, I'll give you a little insight on golf. You can, you can fix stuff. When you're on the green, you're getting ready to putt, to put it in the hole. You can fix stuff. You can move leaves and trash stuff. But you can't fix a cleat mark. If somebody's pulled up a piece of dirt with their shoe and you know it's a cleat mark, you cannot tamp that down. So Nicholas saw there was a cleat mark, a little tiny piece of dirt, right in his line for where he's going to putt. And he couldn't fix it. So... I mean, he could have, but, you know, he could have argued that it was just a, a rock or something. And, but he knew, man of honor, integrity, he knew it was a cleat mark, so he wouldn't fix it. And he hit the putt, and you can see it in slow motion. The ball hits the little clump of dirt, moves, and he misses the putt by just a fraction of an inch. And he, after, at, now you can fix the cleat mark after your putt. So he takes his putter and, bam, he hits the cleat mark and pushes it down. And... After the tournament, of course, he won the, the 1986 Masters at the age of 46, the oldest man to ever win a major. And uh, after the tournament, they said, what was the turning point? He said that putt on hole, whatever it was, he said there was a cleat mark in the way. 
And when I missed that putt and I couldn't fix that cleat mark, it just, it just made me angry and it just set a fire in me. I decided, all right, it's on now, you know, and hit, not to use that, those same words, but that's what he meant. And he went on to, to win the tournament. Perseverance is a learned trait. Perseverance means we don't quit. Perseverance means we train ourselves to be perseverant. You don't just have that in your nature. It is human nature to sit under a tree and eat fruit. It's human nature to sit around and do nothing. Perseverance is not in our nature. It's a learned trait. So the faster we learn it, the better off we're going to be. Next, perseverance, perhaps the greatest inventions, cures, innovations, technologies, systems, processes were never realized because someone gave up. You ever thought about that? I know that's kind of a backwards negative way to think, but I wonder how many things that we don't even know could have existed might exist today if somebody in that process, some inventor, some chemist, some engineer, some scientist, some doctor, some researcher didn't at some point throw up their hands and just give up. How many, how many cures, how many inventions, how many innovative processes, how many technologies, how many systems might exist today that don't because somebody gave up? And we don't even know about it because they don't exist. I'll tell you a story about giving up. This is a very sad story. I just came across the news wires today. There's a, a lady who is a hunter. She's a big game hunter. She goes to Africa and she kills all these big exotic animals and she posts the pictures on Facebook. Well, all the liberals in the country have just been raking her over the coals about the fact that she kills these beautiful animals. And I guess they've been pretty brutal and, and unrelenting with it because in the last few days or whenever... Re very recently, she just couldn't take it anymore, and she killed herself. And it was because of the abuse that she's had on social media. Uh, listen, guys, I don't know how to tell you this other than just tell you, until you get over other people's opinions, you are never going to know peace or freedom in your entire life. I'm telling you the truth, man. You're never going to do it. Now, listen... This is for somebody here. I feel this in my heart very strong right now. People's opinions only have the power you and I give them. Just because somebody thinks it of you does not make it so. Just because they say it about you doesn't make it so. Just because they post it on social media somewhere doesn't mean it's true or real or applies to you at all. It only matters to you if you give it credence, credibility, and if you care. Stop letting other people push your buttons. You know, one thing I love about, about fighter jets is you can't just go in there and accidentally fire the machine gun by bumping it with your knee or shoot a missile. You have to lift a cover off the arming button, and then you arm it, and then you have to lift another cover to pull the trigger. You know why they do that? So, so that accidents won't happen. You need to put some covers on the buttons of your heart so that people can't just say something about you and you just flip out. It only matters if you say it matters. Listen, I have done so many funerals. I've done a bunch of funerals. And you know the part I hate about funerals? I'm just going to be honest with you. I hate the graveside service. And I understand why people do it. And I make my graveside services very brief, about five minutes and I'm done. And I have seen a lot of people walk out to the grave of people they love 
and walk right up to the edge of that grave and stand there and look down at their loved ones. Some of them throw dirt. Some of them would drop a flower. Some of them just stand there and cry, and then they go take their seat, and we go to the service. And I've seen, all, I've seen so many people do that. Let me tell you something about that moment. That's as far as anybody in your life, friend or foe, that's as far as they can go. They cannot follow you in that grave. And even if they could, it would still be just you standing before the one person whose opinion really does matter, and he's the only one whose opinion matters, and that is God. God's opinion means eternity to you. Nobody else's opinion even comes close. If we could line this whole wall up here with pages of a Bible stacked facing us, so that the edges of the pages are facing us. A little thin, I mean very thin, see-through in pages. I mean, you can put a thousand pages in an inch, and we could just stack that whole wall, layer and row after row after row, with this hundreds of thousands of pages, and each page represented a million years of time. You're going to live, give or take, the first hundred-year sliver of the first page up in that left-hand corner, and that's your life on this earth. All the rest of that time, a million years per page, First row, second row, million years per page, all the way down. When you finished the hundred-year slice of the first page, all the rest of that time, you know who decides where you spend that? You do, but God. God has, is, is the one who decides if you really repented of your sins and if you accepted Christ as your Savior. Your friend's opinion will not impact your eternity one bit at all, zero, none. So stop letting their opinion drive you and engineer you and frustrate you and hurt you and offend you. So next, perseverance is most difficult when it is most necessary. Now, I'm not going to say anything more profound than this tonight. Perseverance is most necessary when it is most difficult. And that's on your study sheet. I'm sure Brad is trying to get that up. But it is most difficult when it is most necessary because right when we want to give up, that's when perseverance becomes paramount in importance. And it's the thing that keeps us from giving up. By its nature, perseverance is necessary to keep us from quitting. So it's the thing that keeps us going. It keeps us moving forward. So when we need it the most, that's when we need to, to let it be in place. When things are the toughest, when they're the most difficult. I got a Navy SEAL buddy and Army Ranger friends and some Delta Force people I used to hang with. And my Navy SEAL buddy, he said that Hell Week is the last week of Navy SEAL Bud's training. And he said that they don't hardly let you sleep. He's seen, he's seen uh, SEAL candidates pay <clears throat> $250 for an MRE. If you've ever had an MRE meal ready to eat, it's just a nasty excuse. They're better than they used to be. But back when he did it, they were just like, bleh. $250 bucks for an MRE. That's unbelievable. Mike knows what they taste like. They're nasty. He was, they were running through a swamp, and the idea was, and the, and the drill, the SEAL instructor had told them, no words, no conversation, no deviation from the mission. They're going through this swamp. There's a dead fish floating in the water. One of the guys in the back picked up the dead fish and just flung it at the guys in the front. The drill instructor said, Hop! everybody stopped. He walks up, gets the dead fish, takes it back to the guy who threw it. And this fish is white and got white film where it's just dissolving in the water. Takes the fish to the guy who threw it and says, open your mouth. He just crams the fish in there and says, now, we'll give you five minutes to enjoy that. 
And he made him sit there with that dead, rotten fish in his mouth for five minutes. And when he pulled the fish out, of course, the guy threw up all over the place, and it was sick. He said, what did I tell you? He said, absolute silence, focus on the mission, no deviation. Are you ready? Let's go. And, you know, the guy never deviated from the mission after that. It's amazing. <laughs> but all you have to do in SEAL school, in Bud's class, all you got to you can quit anytime you want, and they try to make you quit. All you got to do is take your little helmet, walk up to the front, sit it on the little porch there, and hanging on the little, little post right beside the porch is a little bell with a little rope on it. And ding, you ring the bell three times. Ding, ding, ding. And immediately they come out and get you, take you into the, into the place. You get a hot shower. You get a hot meal. And you get to sleep till the next day. Instantly. All you got to do is put your hat down and ring the bell three times. It is done. And about 85 to 90% of the guys who start SEAL school end up putting their hats down and ringing the bell. Perseverance is the difference. Not giving up is what matters. So it's most difficult when it is most necessary. Next, perseverance must be prepared to account for change. Now I want you to listen to me very, very carefully here. Change, guys, is a part of life. It is something we all must expect and a lot of times we as human beings and we as Christians, we don't like change. We get comfortable in a groove, and we like for things to stay that way. And when change happens, it upends our world. Because we have made all these plans in our minds. And we have made all these constructs about the future. But perseverance in friendship, in faithfulness to God, in loyalty to His church in faithfulness to your family, in, in love with your spouse, in parenting your children. Change is going to happen. Change is going to come. We must not lose our perseverance when change happens. Perseverance accounts for change. It, it's, it's uncomfortable to think about change in, in some situations of our lives, but I want to tell you, very few things in this world stay the same all the time. I, uh, I'm going to get personal here with you a little bit. A few years ago, I went back to my hometown in South Carolina, King Street, which is not a very big place, but it's where I was born and raised. And I went to my, my homestead out in the country, about four miles out of town. And I drove by, and I realized, whoa, I just, I just think I just passed my house. And I, I went back. I knew the other landmarks, and there was nothing there but woods. And from the time I had been before to the time I went a couple of years back, the trees and the undergrowth had just grown up so that I could not see my house from the road. And all I could see was the beginning of our driveway, and then there was a wall of trees and ivy and thorns impenetrable. And I stood there and I thought, it's finally happened. My homestead has now been taken over by nature. You could drive by that road all day and you would never even know that the house I lived in almost all my life is right back there 50 yards from the road. You'd never even know it. And it broke my heart. Things change. I drive down my little town and stores that used to bustle with activity are closed up and boarded up now. Warehouses that used to 
used to just be full of activity during the harvest time. They're not even there. Just gone. Change is a part of life. I could never envision a day when my father would not be with me. But in 2012, I lost him. Change happens. So when it does, don't let it throw you. During times of change, it's important to get very still and quiet before God and to find out what He wants you to do. Because some changes, God doesn't want them to affect you at all. Other changes, God may want to bring you in the wake of that change and move you in a different direction. So it's very important when change happens for us to be especially sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And listen, to stay in a place where we can hear God so that if change does happen, we don't have to go, oh my goodness, I didn't expect this. I better get in, I better get in a place where I can hear God. We need to be in that place now. Okay? So perseverance must be prepared to account for change. Next, believe it or not, our physical health comes into play when we consider the whole spectrum of perseverance. And it really does. <clears throat> you get somebody that's unhealthy. They've got clogged arteries. They, they've got, and, and mine aren't as, aren't as bad as I make it sound, but I hope. But they're not really debilitating to me. I can still do pretty much what I want to do. The only time they really bother me is when I'm trying to go uphill. For some reason, that triggers everything. But I'm going to conquer that. But you've got, you've got a terrible diet going on. You've got clogged arteries. You're, you're, you're not exercising like you ought to. I can't tell you how many things that does to your body that is, that is negative. Now, I'm not up here preaching a certain diet or trying to convert you to a certain lifestyle. I'm not doing that. What I am saying is, what is to, to pay your dues and to study health and, and to understand what good health is and to understand what good health is not. And then to make strides toward taking care of your body. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You ought to take care of it. That's why I am bumping the iron again. I want to get back in shape. Um, it used to be incredible. I mean, it used to be unbelievable the things that I used to could do. Well, I want to get back to be able to do some of those things again. But it takes time. It takes effort. It takes perseverance. And it takes good health. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. If you think you can be healthy just eating anything you want, you are wrong. And the chances are very good that two things are going to happen to you. If you just eat whatever you want, and I don't care how young you are, did you know that in the Vietnam War they tested some of our 18, 19-year-old soldiers and found that they already had plaque in their arteries from eating mama's fried chicken and biscuits? You eat whatever you want to, and two things are going to happen to you. You're going to get heart disease, and you're going to get cancer. Now, that's just the truth. A friend of mine I asked prayer for earlier, his wife is, is in the hospital with stage 4 cancer, and the doctor told her, your diet is 75 to 85% of what's going on in your body. Think about that. We think that we just live the way we want to. Then we get sick, we go to the doctor, he prescribes some pill, and we all get better. Doctors and hospitals do not treat. They don't, they don't keep you healthy. They treat sickness. Think about the difference. They, they don't keep you healthy. They fix you when you're sick. It's your responsibility to keep yourself healthy by eating a healthy diet and getting some exercise. It is amazing how quiet it gets, no matter how big the crowd is, whenever I start talking about healthy stuff in church. 
If I'm preaching to 2,000 people or 20 people, it always gets quiet. But I'm going to tell you something. It's to your benefit to try to get healthy. All right? That means eating healthy, getting some exercise. And your body is about 75% water, so drink lots of water. Okay? So next, <clears throat> eyes on the prize. We will persevere for that which we desire. How many of you have a job? Raise your hand. Why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? Get paid, right? Like to eat, like to live indoors, like to go around with clothes on. All it takes money. We will persevere for that which we desire. How many of you have ever saved money for something? Saved up money to do something? Yeah. We will pay the price for that which we desire. Isn't that true? There's... I was playing golf one time with a Korean man, and it really irritates me. Golf courses irritate me, and in my old age, I have decided that I will no longer do this. I will not let them do it to me. A lot of times, if you go to a golf course and you don't have four people, if you've got two, they'll stick because they like to have four golfers to go together around the course. That means the course is full. Four golfers at a time play in the same hole together. So I either have four guys, me and three others, and if I have two, I will tell the guy, when I call to make the tea time, and I don't play golf anymore hardly, but if I did, I, the last few times I did a couple of years ago, I said, hey, I got two guys. I need some time to, get, to talk. I don't want you to stick anybody with us. And if they said, well, we ordinarily do, I said, well, then cancel my tea time. I'll do it. He'll say, oh, no problem, man. We'll, we'll, keep you, we'll keep you apart from everybody. I said, okay. And it's not that I'm antisocial. It's that I want to be with who I want to be with, and I don't want to be forced to engage with people I don't know. It's weird, and it's awkward, and you never know who they are. So I said all that to say I got stuck with a Korean guy. And we were playing golf, and I was noticing I'd never seen his clubs before, and I was familiar with all the, the clubs. And I said, what kind of clubs are these? He said, ah, oh, these are custom clubs from Korea. And I said, really? He said, yeah, they are $5,000, 5000 American dollars. I said, you, you paid five? He said, yeah. Great clubs, you know. That's like, in the words of Petra, more power to you, you know. I can't imagine paying $5,000 for a set of golf clubs. My goodness. But, hey, if you got the money, if they're $50,000 and engraved in gold and you want them, it's not my place to judge that. What I'm saying, though, is we will persevere for that which we desire. To that guy, the $5,000 golf clubs, to him, were worth the money. When you get ready to go on vacation, whether it's to the beach or the mountains or a cruise, whatever it is you go on, you'll save money all year long, sometimes two years. You'll save that money so you can go blow it all in a week at Panama City or blow it all on a cruise or blow it all in the mountains or wherever it is you like to go. And people are, are like that. We will, we will pay a price for what we want. My wife loves mint chocolate chip ice cream. I hate it. If that was the only ice cream in the world, Roland would never eat ice cream. Of course, now I don't eat ice cream anyway. I love my kale. Anyway, <laughs> I haven't tried a kale milkshake yet. <laughs> anyway, Donna, when, she was, when we were eating ice cream, she would just, oh, I just can't wait to get some mint chocolate chip ice cream. And I'm sitting there going, and I used to, pick at her. I call it alien vomit. That's alien vomit. It looks like green alien vomit, and I'd pick at her about it. But it's what she liked. So what you think is worth paying a price for, 
and what somebody else thinks is worth paying a price for may be vastly disparate and different. But it's up to each person as to what they value and what they desire. But listen, if you can train yourself to persevere in the things in life that matter, that's the key. And so many people blow it in, in the things that matter the most. It's the important things when perseverance really needs to come into play. I mean, whether you win the softball game, your team wins, is that really going to matter in, in the eternal consequence of things? No, it's not. But I've seen people almost, church, church teams almost come to blows on a softball field. Just the silliest thing in the world. And yet, when it comes to praying, they go out there and play softball half a day, sometimes all day. Come to pray, and boy, they come in here about three minutes, and they're done back in the seat thinking about what they're going to eat when they get out of church, flipping through Facebook, you know. We need to learn to persevere in what's important. Jesus got on his disciples' case because they couldn't pray for one hour. I don't know very many people who pray for an hour to stretch anymore. And Jesus looked at him and said, could you not even pray one hour, you lame disciple? Think about that. Perseverance. We will persevere for that which we desire. What is it that you want? Do you really want the car? Do you really want the vacation? Do you really want the promotion? Do you really want money that bad? Is that your motivator? Is that your driver? I want to remind you again to look at the wall with all the pages of the Bible on it, standing on their edge, looking out all those pages. What's important to us is not that first hundred-year slice. The only thing that's important in that first hundred-year slice is what you do with Jesus Christ. What's really important is whether you're going to spend all those billions of centuries after that in heaven or hell. And our culture, and President Bush, and President Trump, and President Obama, and President Reagan, and all the people that have come before, and all the people that will come after, and all the pundits on TV, and all their opinions, and the liberals and the conservatives, you know what? None of that phases God at all. He could not possibly express his apathy about what any of them think. You know what? You know what God thinks about? The Bible. And you know what your eternity is going to be based on? Not the latest modern progressive American cultural idea. Don't you know the ancient Babylonians thought their culture was this the cutting edge, most progressive modern thing there was? And back then it was. Don't you think the Assyrians thought theirs was when they took over? Don't you think the Egyptians thought they were the bomb diggity with their pyramids and sphinx and all their gold bangles and King Tut? Don't you know culture after culture after culture has come and gone and lies scattered in the dust of antiquity. And God doesn't care about what they thought. All he cares about is five words. What does the Bible say? And America's going to be just like that. God's not going to give a flying rip what American culture thinks, what the, the news people and talk radio and anybody else, politicians, it's, it, it's all sound and fury and wind and noise to God. He's, he's banked on five words. What does the Bible say? Your eternity and mine are not going to be tethered to this culture. Your eternity and mine are going to be tethered to the, what, is the, what does the word of God say, Period. And that's what's going to determine whether we spend all those years in heaven or all those years in hell. Period. No other consideration. Eyes on the prize. We will pay the price for what we desire. So I'm going to open the floor for a little discussion for a few minutes. It's 8 o'clock. I want to get us out of here in about the next 10 minutes.
So let me open the floor and ask you a discussion question. What would be your advice if someone asked you how to develop perseverance? What would be your advice if somebody asked you, how can, how can I develop more perseverance in my life? What would you tell them? Who's got a thought? Michael? Proverbs 23, 7, I think, is probably one of the most misunderstood, least used, and powerful verses in the Bible. And it actually might be one of the top three most powerful verses in the whole Bible. And here's what it says. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. If I start thinking, and I used to, I used to work out every day about four hours a day. And I quit doing that. And then I dropped down to about two hours a day. And I, I would start my workouts at 4.30, and I would work out till... 6.30, and I have a meeting at 7. So it was a two-hour workout, have 15-minute shower, get ready, change clothes, and be there in 15 minutes. And that's every day except Saturday and Sunday. And the gym I worked out in had no air conditioning, and it smelled like dirty gym socks. It was just nasty. No air conditioning, old, ancient equipment that looked like a torture chamber. And every day at 4.30, I'd get in my car, and I'd drive there. And when I got to the door one day, I got in the door, and I was so sore. I just hurt all over, and I'd been just pounding ridiculous amounts of weight. Of course, I was big and cut up and all, and I just lifted all this weight, and I was so tired and so sore. I looked in that place, and I smelled the odor, and I felt the heat. I just thought to myself, man, I just don't want to do this. And, man, it came to me, you better, you better stop that right now because Proverbs 23:7. And so I stopped, and I started saying to myself before I even went, I'm going to go to that gym and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy those weights in there. I'm going to go to that gym. I'm going to sweat my brains out. I'm going to breathe in that stale, nasty air like it's pure oxygen from, for a diver's helmet. The only true decisions you ever make in your life, the only real ones are quality decisions. That's the ones you don't go back on. When you make a quality decision, you stick with it, and you don't stop no matter what until you, until you reach the goal. And I'll tell you what, if you decide you're going to do something and you just determine in your, in your heart, I'm going to do this. It's, it's amazing what you can get done if you just won't quit. And you just determine in your heart, I'm going to do this. It's, it's amazing what you can do. For years, nobody thought anybody could ever run the mile in less than four minutes until Roger Bannister did it. And after he did it, within two weeks, a dozen other people had done it. But that was a barrier we thought was impossible. But it wasn't. He just kept going. Perseverance. All right. How many people are watching you? being influenced by what they see you do, how they see you responding to life. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how many people are watching you or taking their cues from you? How many people are observing how you live this life? You might not think so. and You might not realize it, but there are a lot of eyes and ears paying attention to you. You might think, man, nobody's paying attention to me. You know, Elijah spent the majority of his life in the wilderness. So did John the Baptist. They probably thought, man, nobody is ever going to even know I existed. And yet here, 4,000 years later, we have the biblical record of a majority of what they accomplished in their lives. Who thought, can you imagine that Joseph in Pharaoh's dungeon ever thought, man, thousands of years from now, they're going to read about this. 
No, he thought, I'm down here in this dungeon. I've been unfairly accused of raping Pharaoh's wife. This ain't right. Uh, I said, all right, I'm going to stay faithful and do what I'm supposed to do. Nowhere in the Bible do we find Joseph complaining about anything. But he never, I'm sure he never thought, they'll read about me for centuries being down here in this dungeon. But he lived with integrity. On the Statue of Liberty, if you could take a drone and fly over the top of the Statue of Liberty, on the top of her head... Back when, in the 1700s, when the French gave that, or, or created that, or 1800s, whenever it was made, when the French created that statue, the artist who did it, there were no airplanes. There was no way for him to ever think that anybody would ever see what's on the top, inside the crown, of the Statue of Liberty. But if you fly over it today, he took the time to intricately weave her hair in the carving, in, in the statue, in the, in the forging of it. And it's a beautiful place to look inside the crown of the Statue of Liberty. And he, he, he had no reason to believe anybody would ever see it. So it's, it's the painstaking integrity that goes into these things, the perseverance to do it till it's finished that, that makes it. Because you never know who's going to see. You never know later on, years from now, who may know what you did. How they see you responding to life. Perseverance is not just expedient for us, but for all those in our circle of influence. Our, our influence on those around us is more powerful than, re, than we realize. That is a dynamic motivation for behaving in such a way that inspires others to reach for God, be their best, and never give up, even under trial. And that's the crux of this whole persevering thing. It says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. It's easy to persevere when things are going your way. It's easy to persevere when the bills are paid and you're healthy and strong and you're making progress and getting promoted and making money. Boy, it's easy to persevere. But you take away some of that health, take away some of that family support, take away some of that money, start getting fussed at and demoted on the job, take away some of that security. And now we're going to see what kind of perseverance there is. So perseverance under trial, that's when it matters the most. I want to close with a verse from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet during, during some very difficult times in the nation of Israel. And this, to me, is one of the most amazing verses in the whole, in the whole Bible. And I want to read this in Habakkuk chapter 3. Now listen to this as we close. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, verse 17, Habakkuk 3, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will Rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength, verse 19. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread upon the heights. That is an attitude of perseverance. It is not determined by our external circumstances. It is determined by our internal determination. 
Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for this amazing word. I thank you for the principle of persevering under trial and for the book of James that is one of the most powerful books in the whole Bible. I pray that tonight every person here would have a deeper insight and a more, a more sure and certain understanding of the concept of perseverance and persevering under trial, not just when things are easy, but when things are difficult. Help us, Lord, to stay true and focused and faithful so that we may always be found about the Father's business. Help us to remember these principles, and they will help us not only now, but in the years to come. Perseverance is a priceless commodity. And I thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. Love you. See you here Sunday morning at 1030. Please bring somebody with you. It's family day. It's going to be geared toward kids. We're going to have a blast in here, and you're going to learn something too. So we'll see you Sunday morning at 1030. God bless you.